This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the past couple of weeks, I've been reading a lot in the writings of Iris Murdoch. Iris Murdoch was an Irish novelist and philosopher. She died just two years ago after a long struggle with Alzheimer's disease. You might have read or heard about this lovely book that her husband wrote. Her husband is John Bailey, who is an Oxford professor of English. And he wrote a lovely book called An Elegy for Iris. And it's about the years where she was struggling with Alzheimer's disease leading up to her death. But her writings are terrific. They're wonderful and strange and surprising. If you like novels, you'll find hers very interesting, both from a story standpoint and a philosophical standpoint. But she also wrote extensively in philosophy and theology, which are my areas of interest. She has a very dark view of human nature, not unlike the Christian doctrine of original sin. Iris Murdoch thinks that left to our own devices, we tend to see the world and relate to it from the very narrow standpoint of our desires and our expectations. We tend to see the world through the distorting lens of our own egotism. We tend to relate to the world through the web of our own desires and inclinations. The best moments in life, she says, the richest and rarest moments in life, are those times when something breaks through the web of our egotism and of our desire and allows us to see things as they are. When we forget about ourselves, even for a moment, and suddenly the world appears as it is, that for her is the key moment. Those are the ecstatic and best moments in life. She gives three examples of spiritual exercises that can open us to these moments. And I find all of them really interesting. And finally, I'm going to relate them to our gospel for today. The first one, she says, is learning a foreign language. Now, a lot of you listening to me have probably struggled, whether in school or maybe you were in a foreign country, with learning a foreign language. And I think you'll know what she's talking about. She says, when you're learning a language, that language could care less about you. That language is not interested in making it easy for you. Rather, there is something that is densely objective and demanding about the language. It's inviting you into itself, but it is not accommodating itself to you. When I was studying French, both in school and then when I was preparing to go over to France to study, and I was studying it very seriously, you got all the verbs with all their complexities, and you've got to learn all of it. Then just when you've got those down, the irregular verbs come along with all their complexity. And then just when you've struggled to the end of those, they tell you about the subjunctive that you have to learn. 
all the time you're tempted to say to the language, couldn't you make this a little bit easier? Why do you have to have irregular verbs? Why do you have to learn the subjunctive? Well, of course, the language is not there to please us. It forces you out of your own world, out of your own desires, your own expectations, and moves you into a new world. I remember when I read Iris Murdoch, I thought about this. When I first went to France, and I had studied quite a bit of French. I had it fairly well in my mind. But one of my first days in France, I'm in a little cafe in Paris, and this busy, impatient French waiter came over to the table and looked at us and said, Way, you know, give me your order. Well, at that moment, I completely forgot all my French, all my past participles, all my subjunctives, it all left me. At that moment, that waiter was symbolizing the objectivity of the French language that doesn't care about me. Iris Murdoch's point is, that's good. Those are great moments in life when we allow something to break through the web of our egotism. Her second example is also very interesting. She herself was a great artist, a great literary artist, and she said, moments of real beauty, moments of real artistic beauty signal this breakthrough as well. Look, most art is schlocky. Most art is mediocre. Think of most of what we watch on TV or listen to on the radio. Its purpose is to entertain us, to satisfy our desires, to fit our expectations. Now, nothing wrong with that in itself, but it's just not a very high level because it doesn't break through. Great art. Think here of the Sistine Ceiling or Dante's poetry or T.S. Eliot's poetry or Rembrandt portrait. Great art isn't interested primarily in entertaining us, is not interested in satisfying our desires. Great art speaks a truth, whether we like it or not. In fact, sometimes great art is deeply disturbing. You read it, you listen to it, and you say, I, I don't like that. It's bothering me. Well, the great work of art basically says, I don't care. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to speak a truth that breaks through the web of your egotism and lets you see the world in an entirely new way. A few years ago, in Rolling Stone magazine, which is my favorite sort of music magazine, there was a wonderful feature, and they asked a number of celebrities this question. What was the first song that rocked your world? Now, I remember reading that article and loving that question. That's a great question. A mediocre song will not rock your world. It won't upset the way you see things, won't change your perspective. A great song, a great song will do that. It'll rock the foundations of your world. This is what Iris Murdoch is talking about in a great work of art. Here's your third example. Getting closer now to the gospel. In an act of real love or compassion, this breakthrough occurs. Christians, let's be honest. Most of the time, we relate to each other in a selfish way. That means I'm kind to you or I listen to you or I'm good to you because somehow I'll get something out of it. I'm loving you for my own sake. That isn't love. Real love, as Thomas Aquinas said, 
is willing the good of another. Listen, not my good, not my good through you, but rather your good. In a moment of true love, I forget about my needs and my desires, my expectations, and now I am broken through, I've broken through to your world. In those ecstatic moments, we see the real as it is and not through our own distorting lens. We say God is love. It doesn't mean that God is self-interested, just the opposite. That means that God goes to the limit of God-forsakenness. Who are the people of deepest love? The martyrs. Those who give their lives in witness to the truth or give their lives for the sake of another. That's the limit case, the test case. Because here you're saying, I'm completely non-self-interested. I'm giving my own life away. That's love. That's compassion. Can I suggest now a fourth exercise, a fourth way of breaking out of this little kingdom of the ego? And it's the one that's being described in our gospel for today from Luke. The fourth way is prayer. But prayer in its truest and best and most authentic form. Jesus tells a parable in today's gospel of the publican and the Pharisee. And we know it well. These two figures come into the temple, remember? The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. That's how not to pray. That is dysfunctional, or dare I say it, schlocky prayer. Just like there's schlocky art, that's a schlocky prayer. <laughs> what I mean, now listen to the language. Listen again. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Notice he's not praying to God. He's not broken out of his own little world. He's speaking it to himself for his own purposes, to satisfy his own desires. And we can hear it now. We can hear it. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity. All his prayer is doing is confirming him in his egotism. He's still living in the narrow confines of his little soul. That's how not to pray. That's a kind of mockery of prayer. But now, listen to the other man who prays. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, that's prayer. He's a tax collector, and we know this well from so many sermons. The tax collectors were a hated, despised, marginalized, seen as deeply immoral, all of that. And Jesus plays with this irony that this man, nevertheless, knows how to pray because he allows God to break into his world, to rock his world, to shift it and change it, He's going outside of his little web of desire and expectation. He's not praying so as to satisfy his own needs. But 
humbly and with a great openness of heart, he prays to God. Jesus tells us, of course, the first prayer is not heard. It's not because God is cruel. It's because it's not even directed to God. That prayer wasn't directed outside the ego. The second prayer is heard. That's another way of saying, in that second form of prayer, God gets into the ego, into our world, and shakes it up. Can I close now with a a practical recommendation? The prayer of this publican has beautifully come up into our tradition as the Jesus prayer. If you go into the Eastern spiritual traditions, I mean like the Greek Orthodox and the Byzantine, the Eastern Christian traditions, this prayer is everywhere. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Christians, in many of the monasteries and convents of the Eastern Christian world, this is how people pray day in and day out. Remember Paul says in Thessalonians, pray constantly. Well, they've taken him at his word, and they pray with the words of this man. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In that, they suppress their world of egotism and open themselves to God's influence. There's a lovely little book. I recommend you get it if you can find it called The Way of a Pilgrim. The Way of a Pilgrim is all about the Jesus prayer, what it is, how it works, how to pray it. Here's a basic insight. When you pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe deeply in. As though you're, listen, like Iris Murdoch would say, you're breathing in a presence from outside of yourself. You're breathing in God. And then as you say, have mercy on me, a sinner, then breathe out. As though you're breathing out all the negative and all the dark powers and all of the self-absorption. Pray this prayer for one minute. Pray it for five minutes. Pray it for an hour. Spend the whole day praying it quietly. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In that, you allow the power of God to come into your life, to shake you up, even to rock your world. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.